2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. May we pray. Father, I thank you for another privilege to preach your word. Thank you for uh, bringing us here safely, giving us health and strength to be here. Lord, you know what we need, and I ask in Jesus' name that you would enable me to be a vessel. Lord, that you could fill and use, help me to say what I need to say to be a help to your people. Save any be lost, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to speak to you on the uh, subject, He took my place. Uh, first of all, He took my place on Calvary. It was there that my sin was judged. You know, God is a just God. God is a God of love and mercy and grace. But God is also a God of justice. And uh, therefore, sin must be judged. Some people think, well, I've tried to do right. I, you know, I think God will have mercy and let me in. Well, He'll let you in on the basis of the blood of Christ. And the sin is, is judged and was judged at, at Calvary. Bible said he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus who had never known sin was made sin in our behalf and died in our place. And he took our wrath, he took our sin, our judgment. And uh, the Bible says he would see the travail of his soul and would be satisfied in Isaiah 53. So he took my place on the cross where sin was judged. And Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That no longer am I under judgment, no longer am I under the threat of hell, uh, but because my sin was judged on the cross. Second of all, the blood pavement was made there. Leviticus 17, 11 said, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. They used to think that if a person got sick that you could drain some of their blood out and help them get better. Didn't realize it was having an opposite effect. If people had just believed the Bible, they'd be better off. And he said, The life of the flesh is in the blood. So therefore, uh, we needed a blood offering. Uh, the remedy for death is, is life. And where is the life? The life is in the blood. That's why Jesus had to shed his blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, Well, that shedding of blood is no remission. Some of the modern translations of the Bible change the word blood to death. People say, what's the difference? All the difference in the world. Most people that die do not die by shedding their blood. And so the Bible says, well, that shedding of blood is no remission. He had to take my place. He had to die a substitutionary death. I like the song that says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, have all my sins washed away. You know, that's, uh, that's why I like the old songs. 
Uh, for that very reason, the old songs were true to the Scripture. Some of the modern songs violate the Scripture and violate doctrinal truth you find in the Word of God. So on Calvary, sin was judged. On Calvary, the blood payment was made. Thirdly, on Calvary, the plan of redemption was provided. The word redemption means to deliver by paying a price. It has the idea of buying from the slave market. That we were sold out to sin and death and the devil and Jesus bought and paid for us by his own precious blood. He redeemed us to himself. First Peter says, For as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In John 19, 30 on the cross, he said, It is finished. And I'm glad there's nothing more to be done. There's nothing you can do. Nothing that I can do. Thank God there's nothing we have to do. The salvation has been bought and paid for by, uh, by our Savior, Jesus Christ, on that cross. Therefore, we have redemption. Not only did he take my place on Calvary, but he took my place in the grave. The Bible says the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. In other words, he died a substitutionary death. He died in my place. Christ died, that's history. Christ died for me, that's salvation. And so he died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he says, by which also ye are saved. What's the burial got to do with salvation? Well, we find some important things that, that uh, happened when he went to the grave. First of all, sin was taken away. It is a picture of our sin being removed. Not only has my sin be paid, been paid for, but my sin is gone. You can't find my sins. Some people may find them, but God has forgotten them. Sin is taken away. It's kind of like the, uh, the day of, uh, the day of uh, atonement in the Old Testament when they, uh, they had the two goats there and the priest would... Uh, would uh, take, uh, take one of the goats and kill it and take his blood and put on the mercy seat there. Then he would take the other live goat and put his hands on it and confess the sins of the people on the head of that live goat. And they'd take it out into the wilderness, out in the desert, and turn it loose. And it was a picture of our sin being taken away. And the Day of Atonement, we find that... Uh, uh, that uh, there was a remembrance of sin made every year, but that was a type and a picture of the day that Jesus would take our sins away. Hebrews ten seventeen says, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, I believe in the death penalty because that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, If man shed another man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And uh, some say, well, that, the, didn't the New Testament say, thy shall not kill? Jesus uh, interpreted that, thy shall do no murder. He did not interpret that, that it is wrong 
for a nation to take the life of a person that takes the life of another. And so uh, when a criminal is put to death, the books are closed. I mean, that crime has been, the payment for that crime has been satisfied. The law has been satisfied. And I want to say that my sin has been taken away because Jesus Christ took my place. And the books are closed. Uh, you know, as far as their crime, as far as their sin, you can write across it, paid in full. It's been, been taken away. Our sin is removed. That's a wonderful thing. When I stand before God one day, I'll not have to stand there accountable for my sin because Jesus Christ took my place. And that's the message of the gospel. That's the message of salvation, the message of hope. Second of all, death was defeated. Death has not yet been destroyed. It will one day. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? The book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Jesus Christ took a body for what purpose? To die. As I've preached around Christmas time that... Uh, uh, everything about the birth of Christ paints a picture that he came to die on a cross. That was his purpose for taking a fleshly body, according to Hebrews here, uh, that uh, he, for the suffering of death. And so, uh, is, of course, he is being, being in a, born in a, in a stable, laid in a manger, wrapped, wrapped with swaddling clothes or grave clothes, all pointed to the death of Christ. Then verse 14 and 15, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, death is not in the devil's power anymore. It's in God's hand. And we'll not leave here till the Lord says it's time to come home. But uh, he defeated death. Death was defeated. And uh, the Bible said he tasted death there. Well, the most trusted man in the kingdom in ancient times was the cup barrier. The cup barrier tasted everything before the king tasted it. And if someone was trying to kill the king, then the cup barrier would die first. And that's what Jesus did for you and I. Death was defeated. He tasted death for every man. He tasted death and there was poison in the cup and he died so we could live. Death was defeated and then victory was proclaimed. You know, the devil uh, thought he had him there, didn't he when, he, when he was put in the grave of Joseph of Arimathea. But I want to tell you that the the grave could not hold him. The Bible said in Acts 2.29 that David is both dead and buried his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Verse 24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. There's no stone too big to keep Jesus in that grave. 
There's no power, no power great enough to keep him from coming out of that grave. And I want to tell you, one of these days when Jesus shouts from the air and, uh, and uh, calls those that have died, uh, that when Jesus calls them, they're coming out of there. Just like Lazarus, when he went to the raise Lazarus from the dead, he said, Lazarus, come forth. The Bible said he came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. He must have flew out. He certainly didn't walk out. He had his hands and feet bound. He didn't crawl out or climb out a ladder or something. He was bound hand and foot. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. What an amazing thing. Someone said if he hadn't called, if he hadn't said Lazarus come forth, everybody got up. Victory was proclaimed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the thing that sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Jesus is alive. No other religion can make that claim. He defeated death. He came, overcome death. He came out of the grave. And the Bible says in Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus has the keys. He went down into paradise when he died on the cross. And those Old Testament saints that had trusted him and believed in him had been in paradise, some of them for 4,000 years nearly. And Jesus came down there and said, the price has been paid. We'll be leaving here in three days. And three days later, he moved paradise to the third heaven, to the Father's house. Now the Bible said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Because Jesus Christ took my place on that cross and in that grave, but overcame the power of death uh, by his resurrection. And when he comes again in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And so those that have died beforehand will look back to an empty grave and say, O grave, where is thy victory? You thought you had me, but Jesus brought me out. I've often said I like to be preaching or I like to be standing in the cemetery. And when that event takes place, I know it's going to happen very suddenly, but I'd kind of like to see that, wouldn't you? When the graves are burst forth and the saints of God come out. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Those that are fortunate enough to live to that day arise. Say, oh, death, you thought you'd get me, but Jesus overcame you. Jesus didn't give you a chance. And now we get to go to heaven in the rapture. Victory was proclaimed because Jesus Christ took our place. Then he took our place at the right hand of the Father there to make intercession for us. And, uh, you know, in Exodus 20, 19, the Israelites told Moses to speak unto God for them lest they die. And they were not allowed to approach God. Well, the Bible says Jesus in Hebrews 9, 24, he's there to appear in the presence of God for us. That Jesus Christ is our great attorney. And he's there to represent us when the devil accuses us night and day. Jesus stands up for us and says, I paid the price. The devil accuses us and said, look at them. Oh, they claim to be saved, but watch them. Jesus said, I paid for that sin. I went to the cross. They can come to heaven because I died in their place. 
Hebrews 7, 25 said, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Hebrews 10, 12, He offered one sacrifice for sins forever and sat down on the right hand of God. You study the Old Testament tabernacle, you'll find a description of the furniture and, and all of that. One item you will find, you will not find in that description. That is a chair. It's telling us that the, the work of the Old Testament high priest was never done. But the Bible said that when Jesus went to, when he finished his, his sacrifice on the cross, he went to heaven and sat down. Jesus says the price is paid. There's nothing else to be done. Thank God for salvation by grace. I make no apology for preaching that. And I'm so glad that God has revealed his truth to me. Uh, you know, I, I pity people that have not yet comprehended that great and marvelous truth that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had brought, left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it as white as snow. And so our sin's been paid for. And he sat day, went to heaven and sat down to make intercession for us, to be our great high priest to make a way for us to get to God. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's one mediator. There's one way to God, and that's through Jesus. No other way to approach a holy God. He's there to make intercession for us. He's there to prepare us a city. Abraham, the Bible says, look for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He lived in a tent, put, pitched his tent here and there, and never, never put any roots down because he was looking for that place God had told him about. He's looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. Jesus told the disciples in John 14, said, I'm going away. But he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Thomas said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's gone to prepare us a city. I believe it's ready, don't you? I believe he's got it finished. <laughs> I believe it's ready to move in. He's gone to prepare us a city. John 17, 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory. Oh my, the Father's house. There's nothing down here like it. <laughs> And I'll tell you, well, to live our life in expectation of moving in with Jesus one day. He's gone to prepare us a city. Then not only that, but he's gone to welcome us home. In Acts 7, 26, 56, rather, as Stephen is being stoned to death, he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Did you note that? Jesus said he went back to heaven and sat down. Stephen said, I see him standing. <laughs> He's there to welcome me home. Well, that religious crowd got all upset about it. Matthew 25, 21, it ought to be our desire to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. 
Well done, thy good and faithful servant. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6 through 8. He said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course, and I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. 2 Peter 1.11 said, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or someone, some man described it this way, that God's going to roll out the red carpet and say, Come on in. Welcome home, child. Someone said down here, when a loved one passes, all, passes on, we have to say, There they go. And when those on heaven, standing on heaven's shore, say, here they come. It's a different attitude, isn't it? There they go, but here they come. What a welcome that will be when we go to be with the Lord. A man by the name of John Griffith, whose childhood ambition was to travel. But then the Great Depression came of 1929 and crushed those ambitions. As Oklahoma turned into a dust bowl, he took his wife and small boy and moved to Missouri where he became a controller of a great railroad bridge that spanned the Mississippi River. He'd open it for the ships and the barges and close it for the trains to come rowing across. The summer of 1937, he took his eight-year-old son Greg to work with him and watched from the observation deck at noon he raised the bridge for some ships and got his lunch to join his son, began to tell him the stories of the various ships and the great flood and so forth. As he was telling the story to his son, he heard the train whistle in the distance. He looked at his watch. It was 107. He had forgotten the express from Memphis. 400 people on board. He rushed to the controls as he started to close the bridge. His heart leaped to his throat. His son had fallen into the great gears that operated the bridge. His mind whirled in panic and desperation. There was no time to free his son. He pushed the lever. The train thundered across the bridge. John lifted his tear-filled eyes and he saw businessmen reading the paper. Conductors looking at watches. Finally dressed ladies sip coffee in the dining car. Children pushed long spoons into dishes of ice cream. And John cried out, I sacrificed my son for you. Don't you care? But nobody heard. The train kept going. That's what Jesus did for me. He said, I sacrificed my son for you. Don't you care? I hope we do. He took my place. All of my hope of a glad reunion day is based on that fact. Jesus took my place, took my sin, took my hell, took my judgment and said it's going to be a better day one day.
when the sickness and disease will be passed away and death will be conquered forever and we'll live with him for eternity. Thank God for such a Savior. Spire our heads, please.